Hey friends, before we head into today's episode, I wanted to give you a quick update. You might have noticed the logo of the podcast has changed and the name of the podcast has changed here on your favorite podcast app and on social media. That's because going forward, Imagine Your Podcast is going to be known as Imagination Skyway. The transition has already taken place. ImagineYourPodcast.com will redirect you to our new website, which is ImaginationSkyway.com. I wanted to let you know first and foremost, this is simply a rebranding. We are simply changing the packaging of this podcast community. The quality that you have come to enjoy over the last six years of this show, the subject matter that we cover, and everything else is going to remain the same. In fact, I am more than committed than ever to making sure that this experience continues to improve for you. I'm looking forward to bringing on even better guests, better episode topics, and so much more. The name change is a reflection of the progress that this show has made. I started this podcast in 2017 as a hobby to discuss my love of all things Disney and Imagineering. But as you know by listening to the show, including this episode, we have expanded well beyond Imagineering. And I wanted to identify a name and create a name that reflected the direction that the podcast has taken and the direction that we can move forward together in the future. I do believe it's going to unlock new doors for this podcast and for this community. It has been an emotional journey for me. Imagine Your Podcast is a work of love, so changing the name of the show is not one that I took for granted and is a result of two years of brainstorming and reflection, so certainly not an impulsive decision, but one that I have been working on and keeping behind the scenes for a while now. I just wanted to give you that head heads up right from the beginning. Again, you probably noticed that this episode, which is going to be our final technical Imagineer podcast episode, is already renamed as Imagination Skyway. Our next episode is going to be Imagination Skyway. We're going to Go right to the next number, though. This is episode 155. The next one is going to be Imagination Skyway, episode 156. So as I said, everything else remains exactly the same, but you can learn more about this podcast and this change over at imaginationskyway.com. And you can find Imagination Skyway on social media. Don't worry, though, if you have been following Imagineer Podcast in any location, you don't need to go and find us somewhere else. The name has automatically changed. So if you're following us on Instagram, you're still following us. It's just a different username. Same thing on Facebook and Twitter and TikTok, etc. If you have any questions, you can still email me at matt at imagineerpodcast.com. It's the one thing I'm keeping the same for now, just for simplicity, for people who have my email address and their contacts list. It's kind of like changing a phone number. It's difficult to do. And you can always reach out to me on social media as well. And I'm here to answer any questions you might have. Not to take three minutes out of this podcast episode. I just wanted to give you that explanation. You can learn more, by the way, I did have an Instagram live discussion on January 30th of 2023. If you go back to Instagram and find our video there, it's about a 25-minute video where I discuss this change and answer some questions, so you're welcome to view that over there as well. But without further ado, let's head into our final episode of Imagineer Podcast before we transition to officially becoming Imagination Skyway. Enjoy.
Hello and welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Krull, and you're listening to episode 155 of the Imagineer Podcast. In today's podcast episode, we're going to pick up where we left off with our previous episode by discussing the music of the Disney Renaissance. We're going to close out our discussion, but we have so much to talk about in this podcast episode. If you didn't listen to part one, I encourage you to go back to the previous podcast episode, episode 154, to learn a little bit more about the history of the Disney Renaissance and what we believe make it such an iconic period of time in Disney film history. And we discussed the first few Disney Renaissance films, which include The Little Mermaid, The Rescuers Down Under, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin. In part two, this podcast episode, we're going to kick off with my favorite movie from the Disney Renaissance, in fact, my favorite movie so far from Walt Disney Animation Studios, which is The Lion King. And then we continue our discussion with Pocahontas, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hercules, Mulan, and Tarzan. And we close out with a few thoughts about why we believe the Disney Renaissance is so memorable and such an important part of Disney film history for so many Disney fans and chat about some of our favorites from the Disney Renaissance. At the end of the episode, I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer podcast on all your favorite social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair, and enjoy this episode of the Imagineer podcast. trying to think if there's anything else i think i've gone through my notes on aladdin i've mentioned my favorites talked about the composers we mentioned this the the awards that it won um it did win best original score best original song song of the year and it is um three multi-platinum um status three three times uh, platinum status and i think that is it for aladdin and that brings us to my favorite movie from the Disney Renaissance, which is The Lion King. And I think maybe part of this has to do with I was six when this movie came out. So perhaps it's memorable because this is really where I started having clearer memories of seeing movies. And it's not, I have to admit, the story is not as memorable for me as the music. Um, like the the movie, the the story is definitely... Um, an incredible one. And again, like I mentioned in the beginning of this episode is a, uh, based on Hamlet. So we're talking about a Shakespearean production told with lions and other animals and some iconic music. But I think it is the, the music, both the Hans Zimmer score and the Elton John soundtrack, um, that make this movie so iconic, but, um, the other thing I think from a storytelling perspective that was a pretty big gamble at the time 
and almost a little um very adult for the uh for a, a kids movie. Um, you know, we have a, we have the death of a parent, um, in case anyone hasn't seen the movie. We have the death of a parent in this movie. But in most Disney movies, the death of the parent comes pretty quickly in the movie. This doesn't happen until the end of the first act of the movie. It is a solid, I think I wrote it down, it was 35 minutes into the movie that we have Mufasa's death. This movie is only 80 minutes long. Um, 35 minutes it takes. We have 35 minutes of Mufasa alive screen time before we get to Mufasa's death. That is a long time to build a relationship with a character and then to feel the grief that Simba felt in that moment, which is why I think not only do we feel Simba's grief because we can relate in some cases to how that must feel and perhaps how some of us might have had those experiences in our own lives, but, um, you know, the death of a parent. But um, even if we don't, we've now built a relationship with this character whom we come to love and adore, who 35 minutes in is killed off very violently. Like it, it's it's a gruesome sequence um, that is is really hard to watch. Um, like it's still hard for me as an adult to watch that scene. It is it is really difficult to watch, and probably even more so as a kid. And then you add on top of that, um, again the Hans Zimmer score that goes with it, which from what I've heard Hans Zimmer talk about, he drew inspiration from his own dad's passing. Um, not that he had a similar situation happen, but you know, he drew some of that sorrow and some of that grief and some of that, um, that, uh, not remorse, but that, that, that absolute feeling of grief. Um, he, he drew inspiration from to, from his own personal life to write stampede, um, which in, again, Another great situ- another great case where if you listen to the album version, which is called To Die For, it is a shortened, different version than the movie version, which is called Stampede, that's on the Legacy Collection version of this album. talk more in a little bit but i don't want to run away with the conversation here so mike what do you um wants to talk about when it comes to the lion king and the music in this movie well you want me to do the dance and do the hula (laughs) (laughs) i could go all day with this anything anything but that one anything (laughs) the most iconic song in that movie yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it's a okay anyway um yeah Hans Zimmer absolutely I mean legendary composer if you do not know who he is go and look him up chances are you've you know half the movies are probably Hans Hans Zimmer at this point it's like he's just an incredible incredible composer um Tim Rice comes back um to help out the lyrics but wanted another composing partner and at the time Alan Menken wasn't available so he 
suggested this person who is relatively unknown, just somebody called Elton John. And uh, he, Elton John, wasn't sure at, at one point, but was eventually convinced to um, to be com- um, composing partner and was a composing partner for Circle of Life, I Just Can't Wait to Be King, Be Prepared, uh, Hakuna Matata, and How Can You Feel the Love Tonight, which, of course, Elton John sang the pop version of the song at the end credits. So I uh, found that really fascinating. Wasn't didn't even know that Elton John was involved as much as he was um, in all these different songs. Um, so that was uh, really fascinating. Uh, also, uh, Lion King, the album, was the fourth best-selling album of the year at that time, too. So, uh, you know, which, tr- again, truly amazing for an an- animated film to be the fourth best-selling album of the year. I mean, you know, like you said, Lion King, the music is absolutely incredible. I mean, I love every single one of those songs um, that, that they have. Uh, you know, it's 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 fun. It's funny. It has deep meanings. I mean, the whole theme of the circle of life, and that's why it's so pivotal of Mufasa's death, and why the music really complements everything that is going on um, through Simba's entire journey. It, it, you know, it, it, it this is definitely Lion King. I, I you know, Hunchback might be my favorite, but Lion King is truly a masterpiece of a film. It really is. I mean, it really is a, def- a defining film for an entire generation. It, it certainly is. It's also the most, the best selling album from the Disney Renaissance. It's the only one to earn diamonds um, status in the Disney Renaissance films. The others, uh, you know, again, like I said, many multi platinum, but none diamonds other than this one, which I do have to give credit, I think, to Elton John on that, as amazing as Hans Zimmer is. One of the fun facts I learned. When it comes to the live action remakes, which Lion King is one of them, Beauty and the Beast is another, Aladdin is another. We have a lot of live action remakes from the Disney Renaissance films, but the score for Hans Zimmer, originally he did not get the budget for a full orchestra, which I would imagine, although this was not explicitly said, I can only draw this conclusion um, and assume it. So this is totally just my own assumption here, but I imagine that's because most of the budget went to Elton John. Um, for music <laughs> so because he warranted a pretty Probably. high price tag at the time yeah, i mean at the time it, by the 90s he kind of is known sort of you know <laughs> i mean to be fair i mean like hans zimmer had done some music but it really wasn't until gladiator which was in 2000 that i really feel like he hit the map um as a composer yeah 100%. but um <clears throat> but the reason i i know this fact is because I've mentioned this before when people ask about live action remakes, they'll say or ask how I like The Lion King since it's my favorite Disney movie. And I'll often say that the original movie I still like more than the live action remake. However, the score is better because John Favreau gave Hans Zimmer the budget for a full orchestra. So Hans got the chance to go back and record a lot of the music that he recorded, adapt it to a modern film, so change things, use his experience over the next 20 plus years and come up with an, a, a, a score that has a full orchestra. So you have some really um, amazing songs that are there. That being said, it's hard to top some of the music that Hans wrote for The Lion King originally, even without the full orchestra being a part of it. And I have to say that if you ask me for the like from the official soundtrack perspective, what my favorite song is from The Lion King, it's The Circle of Life. But if you 
allow me to include the music that Hans Zimmer wrote. It's actually Leah Halalela, which was only released in the Broadway, Lion King on Broadway version. Um, it's not even played in the Lion King, but in the Lion King on Broadway, the song title is usually Shadowlands. Um, it's the English version of Leah Halalela, but it's my favorite song from the Lion King. It's one of my favorite Disney songs of all time. And it is, it actually adds some richness to Nala because it is sung by Nala. And the only other song that we get with Nala actually singing, I mean, you can argue, can you feel the love tonight? But I think that's more told from a, a third party, not so much Simba and Nala singing it to each other. Um, is as a, you know, as a kid, she is part of, I just can't wait to be king, but she gets her right. own song in The Lion King on Broadway. And it adds a little bit to the story that you don't really know why Nala finds Simba other than she said, I went looking for help. But it adds a little bit more to why she left Pride Rock and some of the prayers and wishes that the Pride leave upon her on her journey and her expressing what she's intending to seek out to do. So for me, that's actually my favorite song from the whole album. If you were to ask me, though, like my favorite song from what's in the movie, it's going to be Circle of Life. I'm with you on that one. Circle of Life for me is by far my favorite. I'll say uh, second runner-up is Akuna Matata. I always enjoy that song. That's definitely one of the songs I definitely sing along to. Circle of Life, though, is is such a powerful epic of a song. And uh, again, also a song that has a reprise um, in the film. And uh, on a personal note, when I'm flying... If I'm listening to Disney music, and it's usually if I'm going to one of the parks, I will always try to play Circle of Life and try to time it so the song just about ends as soon as the plane lands. It doesn't <laughs> always work because sometimes I like I miscalculate and, I, and the song ends early and I'm like I'm going back for another ten seconds. I'm like nope, not yet. Another okay, maybe another fifteen seconds. I try to time it right so it just hits, you know, it hits it. it finishes landing right at the end of the song and uh that's because it's just it's such a powerful and ins- and in- and inspiring song and you know that to me is definitely it's one of my favorite disney songs period it's definitely like top five you know at, at, you know definitely in the you know top 10 but you know probably in the top five favorite songs by far i i'll agree with you there um the movie is definitely about the circle of life as well. It's it's a, a masterpiece of a song. Um, of course, uh, you have to mention Hakuna Matata also being one of the most iconic Disney songs of all time. Can You Feel the Love Tonight is the one that actually won 
the was I think song best original song yes best original song mm-hmm. um the score did win best original score as well um I just can't wait to be king is just a, a fun song be prepared another great villain song that we get um to me not as good as poor unfortunate souls or Gaston but still like bone chilling um when you, when oh, you hear be prepared and the the again like it's a violent movie it's it's Mm-hmm. talking about like the only way that I can become king is by killing my brother and his his son my nephew like that's that's a very heavy dark adult theme that they put into a disney movie and didn't shy away from that subject at all like it's no, there is really a murder didn't. in this movie like a 100% murder that we see happen in this movie um very heavy theme for a kids movie but um the only other thing I was going to add is for you uh, movie score fans like me, the ones I typically queue up from The Lion King are some of my favorites. From the Legacy Collection, uh, There, you can get equivalents in the album version, but we are all connected. Kings of the Past and The Rightful King. And if you listen to the live action remake version, Rafiki's Fireflies um, is another one of my favorites from that album. So yeah, I would say for for me for uh, for uh, score purposes, uh, King King of Pride Rock for obvious reasons, as I mentioned, that's usually the one I like to to play off of the score. Yeah, that's uh, that is an equivalent one to one of the ones that I mentioned from the uh, the Legacy Collection that you can listen to, which mm-hmm. is from the uh, again from the actual movie as opposed to the sort of condensed version that you hear yes. on the original yeah. soundtrack that was released. Um, yeah, exactly. So amazingly we are only halfway through the the disney renaissance films however the back half i would argue doesn't have quite as many significant hits as the front half i mean four out of the five the little mermaid aladdin beauty and the beast i'm going out of order aladdin beauty and the beast and the lion king um but we still get a pretty beautiful film when it comes to 1995, which is with Pocahontas, 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 which was composed by Alan Menken again. Um, so did an incredible job in composing the music for Pocahontas. We have another great cast. I didn't mention the cast for The Lion King, but I'll, I'll leave that one for now. Some really amazing uh actors cast for the lion king for pocahontas we have judy coon who does pocahontas jim cummings um who by the way we forgot to mention this fun fact mike in the lion king jeremy irons who plays the role of scar does the singing voice of scar but halfway through singing be prepared his voice let out and they had to bring in jim cummings to fill in the pieces so when you listen to be prepared what, you're was it jim cummings jeremy I, irons yeah and jim cummings yeah yeah, that is actually a very interesting tidbit. I heard that a long time ago. I didn't know that Jim Cummings was the one who actually came in and, and finished it out. But yeah, if it's interesting, if you actually listen to Be Prepared, you can kind of, you can tell, like he does a really good job of, because Jeremy Irons has a very distinct voice and he did a really good job of tr- of imitating his voice as much as possible. But if you know that information, if you go back and listen, you can tell, I think it's, it's I think it's right towards the end. I think right right uh, there's a there's a very specific moment um that you can tell that oh this is somebody different that's actually singing this part of it so really fascinating yeah jeremy orange has a particular rasp and um timber to his voice that's hard to replicate but uh i think 
if you're going to bring in anybody to voice that kind of role, Jim Cummings is going to nail it. And he certainly did. But he's back in Pocahontas. He plays the role of Chief Pohatan, um, who's Pocahontas' dad. Uh, Mel Gibson uh, does the voice of John Smith. Um, we have Linda Hunt, who does the voice of um, Grandmother Willow. We have David Ogden Styers, who does the voice of Radcliffe. And fun fact, when it comes to the next movie, he also voiced the Archdeacon in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, so he does a couple of Disney Renaissance films as well. Um, we do have, from an overview perspective, it did win again, the Best Original Score, an Academy Award, and an Academy Award for Best Original Song again, which is Colors of the Wind. And this is another multi-platinum status winner in the world of Disney music. Mike Pocahontas, what are your thoughts about this movie? What are your favorite songs? I really enjoy this film. Um, I also, like you mentioned, didn't really find too many interesting tidbits about this one in particular, but I will say that, of course, Colors of the Wind is definitely by far my favorite song from it. It's just a beautiful song about, you know, uh, of acceptance and, and, uh, you know, an understanding and, you know, of the world that's around you and that, you know, it's, you know, that it's okay that people are different and to embrace that, that difference between us. And so it's a, it's a beautiful song, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, I always enjoyed Pocahontas. It's not always the song, the uh, film I always go back to to watch, but I always thoroughly enjoy it every single time I go back to it. Uh, I yeah. do um, try and think of any other songs that I particularly like off of it. Uh, Virginia Company is always a fun one, just in general. <laughs> um you know, it just, it's like, you know, uh, mine, 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 I always enjoy as well. That's, that's always a, that's Another always great villain song. song. Another great villain song. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, and I, that's, that's what I have to say about Pocahontas. It's nice and short this time around. Yeah. I mean, Pocahontas did give us a great movie, Avatar. Um, it's, a, you know, sort of a very strong inspiration for James Cameron's storyline for Avatar is Pocahontas. Um, the, so I personally, I enjoy that as well. My, you know, my personal favorite from this movie is uh, Colors of the Wind. I mean, is is amazing. It's one of my favorites, but I think one that I like even more because um, I sometimes don't have the most popular opinion is just around the river bend. It's kind of the part of your world of Pocahontas, so maybe mm-hmm. that psychologically for me is a is a parallel to this. What I love most about rivers is you can't step in the same river twice. The water's always changing, always flowing. But people, I guess, can't live like that. We all must pay a price. To be safe, we lose our chance of ever knowing what's around the river bend, waiting just around the river bend. I look once more just around the river bend, beyond the shore, where the gulls fly free. There is a song, though, that is from the score that I like more than any sung song in this movie which is called farewell um i believe that's from the version from the uh the walt disney legacy records legacy collection version farewell Mm -hmm. is the end song um again i love end songs like alan mankin just wrote a chilling like goosebump inducing song with farewell which is the part of the story where we find that you know, John Smith has to leave. Um, he's leaving to go back to England to get the appropriate medical care that he needs. And Pocahontas is staying behind. 
And the part for me that literally like induces chills when I watch the movie and I'm getting chills thinking about it now when I listen back to the soundtrack is when Pocahontas is running to go and try to wave, like to go to the cliff to try to wave goodbye to John Smith. That whole sequence we hear in the music, her running, like you can hear in the music Pocahontas racing to get to that cliff and her making it. It's also played in World of Color, the original version of World of Color in the Pocahontas mm-hmm. sequence. And when you add dancing water and lights to that song, my God, it's like serious chills. Yeah. <laughs> so um, for Ooh. me, I like that song even more than I like Colors of the Wind and Just Around the River Bend. It has no spoken word in it, but it conveys such emotion. Um much like transformation from Beauty and the Beast, but maybe not quite to the same level. So I had to add that for Pocahontas. But Mike, let's get to your favorites because we're just like, we're on deck. We're on deck for your favorite. So a year later, again, back to back, year after year, these Disney hits, we have the hunchback of Notre Dame. Now I have to argue that I think Pocahontas was the turning point for the Disney Renaissance. The Lion King was the peak might not be everybody's favorite or you know you can argue whether or not it's the best but it certainly was the a tier disney renaissance pocahontas still if you compare it against like every animated movie out there solid um like a tier movie but not quite as high in the Disney Renaissance films. Um, and then Hunchback of Notre Dame, for some reason, like I, I agree with you, Mike, like I think it is such an underrated Disney movie. And it's one that not a lot of people remember from the Disney Renaissance. And the music mm-hmm. from the Hunchback of Notre Dame is so iconic. It is so gorgeously composed. Um it covers some really heavy themes too. And for some reason is maybe it's a darker Disney movie. So it's not as fun. Like the only real fun song that's in there is topsy turvy. And even that is a little dark. So I, mm-hmm. um, I wonder if that has a little bit to do with it. Um, there's obviously some strong religious overtones to this movie, but it's not a, uh, it's, it's almost like the same as lame is like, it's not, it's not preachy. Um, it just has a lot of religious connections in the movie. Um, and you can be honestly any religion and kind of connect to the um, some of the themes that are carried through in this movie from a religious perspective. Mike, this is your favorite movie, though, so I'm going to let you lead the way here. Absolutely. So uh, coming back to doing uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame is the pair of uh, Macon, and, uh, Macon and Stephen Schwartz, which uh, was the pair also for Pocahontas, so they brought them back um, to do uh, Hunchback, Hunchback specifically, and uh, yeah, like I said, this is, this is uh, severely underrated. One of my favorite is, I think, because even at the time, also, I think because of the age that I was, to see a children's film be that dark, I think, also really was something that stood out to me, and or something that I really did appreciate is that they really didn't. I mean, they did change quite a bit of what the story was, but 
at the same token, they they really kept a lot of those thematic elements that are very deep and serious, and the songs reflect that. And you know, to me, there are so many uh, incredible uh, songs. That, as you mentioned, Topsy uh, Turvy is a super fun one. Uh, the Court of Miracles is always a, a super mm. fun one too, even though it's it's uh, kind of like a little bit in, interesting, dark. like macabre, <laughs> yeah, it's dark kind of thing because they're you know about to you know execute our heroes here but um at the same token though it's you know super fun and you know out there i mean when you first i mean just just the music complimenting quasimodo going around notre dame and seeing the beauty of paris at that point and you know at, at that time period is is so powerful and something that i've like really always appreciated Uh, not my favorite song, but definitely up there as far as songs are concerned. Um, what are your thoughts, Matt, on Hunchback? Yeah, uh, I think that all of the songs in this soundtrack are in themselves beautiful music, and all of them are very emotional. Um, the Bells of Notre Dame is probably my favorite one from this one, and it's an op- it's part of the opening sequence. Again, covers an extremely dark theme. Um, it is the the even the visuals on this are dark, but then you and you have like snow. It's at night. It's it's cold. It's just like it's as cold as the story is at that moment, and the song is yeah, just amazing. Um, the 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 lyrics are are and like very intentional throughout this entire. Not to say they aren't through other movies too, but there's something about the lyrics in every song in this movie that is just like so adult. Like a very, very. Um, it makes you. It like to your point, Mike. You said it kind of changes you. Like it really forces you to reflect and to think. And that whole concept of who is the monster and who is the man in this movie is a theme that's carried through. We get, uh, for me, like the creative decisions for a lot of the songs are fascinating. Like one of the, I think, most creative tellings of the concept of um, who is the monster and who is the man is it's com- it's two songs combined, which is Heaven's Light and hellfire those are the two Mm -hmm. the two names and again very religious heaven and hell um heaven's light and hellfire and if you listen to the lyrics that are sung there's very heavy um like religious connotations to what's being sung but also very heavy moral connotations to what is being sung and heaven's light being sung by Quasimodo and Hellfire being sung by Frollo and both going through this very tumultuous period of reflection and perhaps even self-doubt for both of them. Um, 
but a very stark, like light and dark contrast between both of those songs. Um, so for me, like that's always a standout as of one that's a very, again, heavy, dark, but fascinatingly creative pair that's put together in this movie. The song that I think I also really love, um, it might be my favorite. It's, it's so hard to pick a favorite from this movie is also not from, it is in the movie, but not necessarily, well, it's from the movie, but not in the movie, which is one day. It's only really sung in the end credits of the movie, um, the pop version of it, but then you get the mm -hmm. musical version in The Hunchback of Notre Dame on Broadway, and that so is beautiful. the end song for Harmonious. Um, so it's like, it's mm -hmm. really interesting how that song sort of gained new life, even in modern times. God Help the Outcasts, is another brilliantly creative such a strong song and it's sung by esmeralda and you know a lot of what she's praying for and asking for again has a lot of those religious connotations and god sort of answers her prayers through her um like it's it's there's so much in this and she's the only she's the one in there who's they're all humble and praying for humble things but she's praying for nothing but for everybody else So just speaking about the music is it, it it plays very heavily into the story of this movie and the dark, really real themes that are like very, very um adult thing adult things that you have to reflect on or that it makes you reflect on. And for me, we did a competition, a a, a Disney roundtable discussion way back in the day, I think twenty eighteen. Probably I have to go back and find which episode number it is, but it is the um the the most villainous Disney villain, and Frollo one oh, by a leaps creep. and bounds. He is Frollo's a creep. So well, yeah. Besides being a creep, he is such a villain, like absolutely a monster. Um, he has like no redeeming qualities. A lot of the other villains have at least some redeeming qualities or like something that. Either they're funny or they're, um, you know, not to say that we want to be like the villains, but there's always like, even think about like Hades, everybody loves Hades. Um, he's charming. He's funny. Frollo has none of that. He is just like a dark, bad person. Um, and I think also probably one of the most relatable that we see in other 
people and maybe in ourselves. Like there's a lot of psychological aspects to Frollo. So that also makes for an iconic movie. Yeah, not to go too deep into the villain psychology, but he's you know this is the yeah. time where you know it's a you know of Paris where there is a lot of um, you know there there's a lot of crime that's happening in Paris. I mean, it's definitely not the best of times, and this you know Frollo is in this position where he has to keep order in a very orderless society, and has to find ways of keeping under control, and you know and finding and is frightened by by things that are different in this case in in the sense of the gypsies and is stereotyping all gypsies of being uh cruel and you know and crime committing and desperately trying to keep control of the situation obviously kind of takes things a little bit to the extreme but uh you know that's the character of frollo and it was interesting that you were talking about heaven's light and hellfire because you're mentioning about the strong religious tones but i but i feel that the overall theme for both of those songs is obsession because both as we were talking about before quasimodo and frollo are obsessing over esmeralda and you have you know heaven's light which is quasimodo that's seeing as esmeralda is a sign of a sense of hope and wonder of of the possibilities and frollo is looking at somebody you know for multiple different reasons um is obsessing over esmeralda as somebody that he can't control I dare to dream that she might even care for me And as I ring these bells tonight My cold dark tower seems so bright I swear it must be heaven's love And... Um, and what's desperately to do so. So it's very interesting to see um, essentially both sides of you know the, of, of, of obsession, which is generally a, considered a very dark um, you know subject or a very you know intense feeling. Um, so something that I've always found very fascinating. And you're talking about God Help the Outcast, which to me is my favorite song. And the reason why, on a personal note, is essentially then, you know, as a child being molded essentially by these Disney films, God Help the Outcast, I truly feel like is one of the reasons now as an adult why I like to help people. It really put into light this, you know, one of the main characters who is still down, like the still down on luck, trying to get by and doesn't really care about herself as much as the people that are around her who are you know very you know that are less fortunate and i i know i'm literally taking lyrics from it right now but but yeah. it's <laughs> but that's that, that literally is how i it reflects off of me like is as a child looking at this and seeing you know not just like you know a rags to riches story but like somebody who you know is just you know is you know doing everything that she can you know is confident about you know is confident in herself doesn't feel like that she needs help from other people but wants desperately to help others who who cannot help themselves and even though she's also in that position and it really just kind of opened my eyes of and realizing how fortunate and lucky that i was and the lifestyle that i was brought up with and the you know and 
you know, and the environment that it was around me and how supportive it was. And not everyone's like that. And even though this is a period piece, it just really opened my eyes up to even current society. And um, to me, that's something that's always resonated with me with God Help the Ask. And it's just a gorgeous song. It's so beautiful. The visuals on it are, are outstanding that go alongside that song. I mean, to this day, it, it still looks gorgeous. So that to me is by far my favorite film. I mean, fil- film and song from the film. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, any any. It, I agree. There's a lot. It doesn't matter that this is a, a period piece. It's very relatable to today's times, and I I agree with that sentiment around Esmeralda that it gives us a little bit of inspiration. Uh, we don't have to have our lives all put together to help others. In fact, we can be helpful even when we are still figuring things out ourselves, and maybe are not in the best place ourselves, and perhaps by helping others we can lift ourselves up at the same time. Um, so I, 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 I agree. Like there's, there's some beautiful motifs, morals, things that are carried through this movie that I think sometimes get a little lost because people forget about this movie, but it still was a, uh, it, it, this one earned platinum status. Um, but unfortunately it was the first of three Disney Renaissance movies in a row to win to not win, sorry, an Academy Award or a Golden Globe or a Grammy, um, at least not for these major categories that we talked about with the with the other films. I wonder, because uh, Notre Dame came out in 1997, correct? Yeah, it came out in 96. 96? Yeah. Okay. So... Um, what it went up against? You want to see what it... What it, uh, what it I, yeah, against? I want to see what one... Okay, yeah, all right. It was the English patient. All right, <laughs> <laughs> the one that swept the awards in 1997. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So it's 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 definitely still one that I again we we we've we've talked about this for several minutes now. But it, Hunchback in Notre Dame is an incredible movie. If you haven't seen it in a while, go back and watch it. It's it's an amazing movie. But uh, then we get into one that Disney fans love, which is not award winning. But Disney fans love. Um, in fact, the music from this movie did not even earn platinum status. It was uh, gold status. It had 500,000 um, in album sales as opposed to the millions it gets platinum status. But the Her- uh, Hercules, which came out in 1997, another Alan Menken film, or um, a music, Alan Menken film. And, you know, it's... For me, one of those movies you mentioned, Pocahontas, is one that you don't go back to often. Hercules is not one I really go back to often. I love Hercules for Hades, I think, more than anything else. I remember playing the Hercules video game um, on Oh, we had so much fun playing yeah. it was a PlayStation. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that game. That was a lot PS1. of fun. Game. Yeah, the PS1, it, the OG. The original. Mike and I have many memories playing PS1 together. Um mm-hmm. The uh, yeah, so that was a that was a fun game. I, I also remember like this is the time that I think I started to look for more like the the Happy Meal toys, the, you know, like the Hercules Happy mm-hmm. Meal toys that came at McDonald's. So I, it was it was uh, I think for that reason I really liked Hercules. This is a fun movie. It's a a Greek story. Like we're talking, we we mentioned you know Hunchback of Notre Dame. We didn't overtly say this, but it's based on a French novel. Um, the Lion King we mentioned being based on Hamlet, so a Shakespearean piece. Um, you know, 
Hercules is based on Greek mythology. So we're going back even further. But what a very interesting choice to create a gospel soundtrack for right? Greek mythology. Fascinating. We are the muses, goddesses of the arts, and proclaimers of heroes. Heroes like Hercules. Honey, you mean Hercules. I'd like to make some sweet music. Our for you. story actually begins long before Hercules, many eons ago. Back when the world was new, the planet Earth was down on its luck, and everywhere gigantic brutes called Titans ran amok. It was a nasty place. There was a mess wherever you stepped. Where chaos reigned and earthquakes and volcanoes never slept. Yeah, fits. I thought that was a really, it, and it fits. It, it's it's so interesting of a fit. But you're right, taking <laughs> taking the gospel genre and then bringing it to a film like Hercules, you know, that is from Greek mythology. It was such an odd pair, but it somehow works for this film. It really does make it work. That's the gospel truth. That um, is the gospel. <laughs> it's also like too, and you mentioned before, and this is uh, in Hunchback was the same way, um, especially with Bells of Notre Dame, and then we're talking about even Hercules, where you have this narration being done through through song, which I thought was also a very interesting way of giving everyone the you know this, you know what's hap- currently happening what, you know giving part that part of the story and and helping lead along this is the context this is where these characters are at and so forth through narration but but doing it through music i thought it was a very interesting choice that they made and they d- then done a number of different times and i have to imagine alan Menken had so much fun writing this uh it's oh, more like yeah. a gospel soundtrack for this i know he's talked about it and how much fun he had writing this this score in this soundtrack um you know it's the the song there's not i think if you actually look at the the songs uh that are on the list there's maybe not as many as some of the other like there's not as many as there is for the hunchback in notre dame but uh i think the fan favorite if i go the distance is a fan favorite for sure um Mm-hmm. But um, I won't say is I think the other one that fans love for me, it's go the distance is still my favorite. And um, one last hope is my second one. I mean, it's Danny DeVito is singing, Ooh. which is just uh, so much fun to begin <laughs> with. But um, there's some like fun uh, Greek mythology that's sung in there. Like it, it's it's just a really upbeat, hopeful song. It's a fun song. And Zero to Hero. Uh, Zero to Hero is another another great one. Um, but Go the Distance so for me, is Zero- probably the most iconic in this movie. Definitely is the most iconic. Uh for me, Zero to Hero is my favorite. It's, it's such a fun, upbeat song. I really enjoy it. That's definitely the one I usually sing along to. Um look at me, I'm an action figure. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna slow good quotes for these films. Um, especially ones I really like. Um, a Star is Born is also um, at the end. I really um, enjoy it. I still get tear to my eye when Hercules becomes a constellation in the stars and, you know, and Philatides starts tearing up. I tear up at that scene too. So it's just, it's just, it's a fun film. It's, it, it's enjoyable throughout from start to finish. It's, you know, a really interesting way of t- telling the tale of Hercules. And, you know, like you said, having that gospel style really makes that music stand out amongst the other films in the, Disney Renaissance era. So 
you know, again, not a single bad song. Like I, I thoroughly enjoy every single one of them. I, yeah, I, I go back to zero to hero for me that when we speak about lyrics, which again, if you asked me to sing it on the spot, I would never be able to, but the, um, I can hum the melody, but I can't, I don't remember all the lyrics. The, where the writing for the lyrics is is very akin to like Prince Ali. It's just full of like fun language that's that's play on words and like fun rhymes. And my favorite my favorite part of this is probably um, from appearance fees and royalties. Our heart had cash to burn. Now Nuvo, yeah. rich and famous, he could tell you what the Grecians earn. Um, so it's like, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's such a good line. Um, so good. It's it's got to be again like Alan Menken just having a, a lot of fun. Um, it's 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 such a great piece. But uh, was there there? I feel like there was something I was missing about Hercules that I wanted to mention. I did. There is the uh, I talk about the '90s pop soundtracks. This is probably my favorite '90s pop version, which is Michael Bolton singing "Go the Distance." Um, probably all of these are really fun and iconic. I think arguably um, the uh, Mulan has a good one too with "98 Degrees," but. Uh, for me, it the, the Michael Bolton singing "Go the Distance" is just so fun, such powerful piece. And, and just just for clarification, not the Michael Bolton from Office Space, the Michael Bolton <laughs> the singer. Here. We're getting Only really into uh, geek culture here, Mike. <laughs> yeah, Office sorry, Space. I know. I I'm sorry. <laughs> I think ninety percent of our audience. Ninety percent of our audience younger than twenty-five has no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> has no idea what we're talking about. And if you don't, if you've never seen Office Space, it's it's not 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 necessarily family friendly, but it's such a great film. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. I would not put that as a family friendly film by any means. No, definitely uh, not. Absolutely. <laughs> um, we've got uh, just two left. Uh, the the. Next one, which came from, uh, which came about in 1998, is Mulan. So here's teed up way in the beginning about Jerry Goldsmith, um, who ended up composing the soundtrack for Soren over California for you Disney Parks fans. But he wrote the score to Mulan, which for me is a gorgeous score. Um, first of all, absolutely amazing. I, I like the music in Mulan more than I like. The music in Hercules if I had to make a comparison between the two and I don't think it has as many hits but the the go the distance is if you might if you want to say for Mulan is reflection um, and I truly love this song um, it's we could talk a little bit about the the themes and it's the part of your world of Mulan is is reflection mm-hmm. um, and the under the sea or the zero to hero of Mulan is I'll make a man out of you. And I mean, if it doesn't matter what Disney fan you are, you hear those drums in the beginning of that song, you are standing up, you are getting ready to sing. Let's get down to business. Like it's such a fun song. Let's get down to business. 
It might be one of the most fun songs from the Disney Renaissance. And so like those two totally, totally different types of songs, but um, Reflection and I'll Make a Man Out of You. Not that there are many other songs in Mulan, but those are my two favorite favorites from this movie. Mine as well. And I think that I'll Make a Man Out of You, I've seen quoted the most by far than any other Disney song is that one. Like, I just keep on seeing it every single time I'm on social media, especially. I always see that song getting uh, quoted in some form or fashion. So I don't know if that's just me and just my friend circle, but I always see that's the one. Uh, anytime anybody mentions a Disney song, that's the one that everyone remembers. Yeah. And that's saying something, I, I agree. especially from, from Mulan, which is absolutely gorgeous. Like you said, the, the soundtrack is you know, absolutely beautiful. It doesn't have that many songs in it, but that's the one that everyone really remembers and really because it is such a fun song. It really is. It is. That's definitely one of my go-to songs when I want to listen to Disney music. That's definitely one of them. Yeah, it's also from a uh, from an interesting perspective. Um, we talk about Mulan as a whole. It is one of the only two right two Disney Renaissance films that does not feature the iconic. Um, loss of a parent of at least one parent. Um, Mulan, you know, both of her parents are alive and well, and actually very important for the story to take place. Hercules is the other one, which almost has a flip to the story, which is later taken with Tangled, where it's really the loss of a child, not the loss of a parent, um, mm-hmm. and not in the same way. It's very, again, very similar to tangled and like my child was taken from me not my child has mm-hmm. perished um so those are i thought interesting an interesting uh part to this is that we do keep the um where we, we flip from that typical model of there being you know for for my iconic disney movie perspective uh not having uh the death of a parent or like the presence of a step parent of some kind so i found that to be interesting i think mulan is also the oldest story in the disney renaissance when we're talking about the the story that's based out of aladdin is close aladdin is based on um the uh oh my gosh arabian nights which is originated in the middle east sometime during the middle ages like eighth century fourth century i don't think there's a set time but if I went back and looked, um, I believe... It's not Hercules? Oh, Hercules is Greek mythology, so that's true. I totally missed that part. I was going to say, um, like, I, would, I would think Hercules probably would be the, the oldest. I think you're right. But you're probably right. Um, but I do need to see how old the Legend of Bulan is. Yeah, that's from the it's from AD, so never mind. Um, so yes, you're right. Hercules is the oldest story. Um, Bulan is, is close. Of course, but it's it's older than Aladdin either way. Um, older than Aladdin. <laughs> uh, but you're right, I totally forgot about Hercules. Um, I've got not not much else to say about Mulan. I mean, it's I, I again I love those two songs. I'm I'm very thankful that we have those two movies. I just rewatched Mulan this week, and it's interesting that this is one of the movies that I would would rewatch um and like to rewatch from the Disney Renaissance films. Maybe not as much as The Lion King or Beauty and the Beast, but I think more than even Hercules for some reason. I would say so. And also, Designer to You and Designer to Your Cow. 
Oh, Mushu. I would like to add... Oh, Mushu. I love that character. Uh, one thing I do want to add, though, is the pop version of Reflection, uh, which is sung by Christina Aguilera, which mm-hmm. is credited to actually propelling her career. I mean, she was known before then, but really to her, her actual stardom as a celebrity was her rendition of Reflection that actually made that happen. So that, that was very fascinating, too. Very mm-hmm. interesting. Um, well, good to know. I actually did not know that part. So let's close it out. So the the end of the Disney Renaissance, the last film considered to be a part of the Disney Renaissance, we do kick it up with the soundtrack, and it's Tarzan, which came out in 1999. Um, so the the score for this was composed by Mark Mancina, but the soundtrack, which is what people typically remember from Tarzan, was written by Phil Collins. So this is only one of two films in the Disney Renaissance that was largely composed by um, and credit the soundtrack credited to a uh, like a pop or rock icon who was well established before this movie came about. And um, there are countless memes about Phil Collins and his soundtrack writing for. <laughs> I, for I love Tarzan. them so much. Like, all right, all right, Phil. Like this is like in a jungle, it's supposed to be a serene setting, and it's like the sky and the piano that's on fire. <laughs> I love that meme so much. <laughs> and it's it's, it's so true. It's so true. Um, now here's what's fascinating. I mean, it's you know, at least with the Lion King, Elton John wrote the songs. But in the movie itself, none of them are sung by Elton John. They're sung by the voice cast, um, whether it's the singing role, like, you know, Matthew Broderick doesn't sing the role for uh, for Simba, but still, it's, it's sung by a voice actor. Um, the only two individual characters who have a singing role in this movie are Kala, um, you know, Tarzan's mm-hmm. adopted mother, who's voiced by uh, Glenn Close, and Turk, mm-hmm who's voiced by Rosie O'Donnell. Otherwise, That's right. it's Phil Collins. Phil Collins sings the music. It's told the the soundtrack is a narration accompaniment more than it is sung by the individuals in the story except with those two pieces again and of course Phil Collins has a version of it um for the soundtrack that's sort of a pop or rock version of it that you can listen to as well. Um but uh I I find that to be interesting that it's the only Disney Renaissance film where most of the soundtrack is sung by an invisible third person um, as opposed to a character in the movie. Well, funny thing that you mentioned that because uh, what I discovered was that the music executive for Disney at the time, uh, Chris Montan, he suggested to have somebody like Phil Collins come in because he said that uh, he couldn't see, he couldn't see a man in the jungle who was brought up by gorillas singing and interesting, which is kind of ironic considering all the other Disney characters that probably doesn't make sense for them sing, but it still works anyway. But they decided that it just didn't make sense for Tarzan. They didn't want Tarzan to sing. And because of that reason, they decided that instead to have uh, somebody narr- be the narrator. So Phil Collins essentially is the narrator to Tarzan. If you listen to the songs, that is exactly what it is. Like it's literally is him essentially narrating through the story of Tarzan. So I thought it was a very interesting take. And again, something that was quite different because as you mentioned, even though sometimes you'll have uh, 
narrator uh, roles in some of these songs throughout all the Disney films. This is the time where it was the majority of it was was in this case Phil Collins. One other thing I liked about Phil Collins is that when he was writing the music, he actually improvised most of it. He actually just took the the treatments for Tarzan and recorded and improvised the lines for Tarzan, which is really amazing because the songs are are so good. You would never think that there was, it was a lot of it was off the cuff based upon what was happening and what what he envisioned was going to happen in the in the uh, film. Well, that's amazing. That's very amazing. Um, yeah, it's it it definitely makes Tarzan unique, and it's um. You know, as I mentioned, like Hercules, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, Mulan, they did not win any major for the music uh, Academy Awards um, or Grammys or or um, what am I missing? Golden Globes. That was the other one I was, I was missing. But the um, but Tarzan did win the a Grammy for the best soundtrack album, and it did win an Academy Award and Golden Globe for the best original song, which was You'll Be In My Heart. And it goes back to being, you know, Hercules and Mulan. Um, they didn't even earn platinum status. They were both gold status, but um, Tarzan goes to a multi-platinum status. So we originally, you know, we we end the Disney Renaissance on a high note when it comes to the music. Didn't ask, Mike, do you have a favorite song from Tarzan? Son of Man. I really, it's a fun song. It's upbeat. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's a Tarzan journey from a child into adulthood. So, uh, always really fun. I do really like You'll Be In My Heart, too. Yeah. I'm, I think You'll, I be with... my, You'll Be In My Heart is the one I sing. Son, Son of Man is the song that I just really get into. So, it's for two different purposes, but both of those are, are definitely my favorites. Huh. to them i yeah you'll be in my heart is my favorite but strangers like me is my second favorite Strangers like me is really good too yeah but um, strangers like me is also really good it's very it's like son of man and strangers like me have very similar um tones to them they do um very -hmm. similar styles but i mean it's because it's phil collins he's writing it they're gonna have very Mm -hmm. similar styles um but that's that's tarzan and that caps off the 10 disney renaissance films for which went piece by piece um to talk about uh, the soundtracks and the albums and fun stories behind the scenes that you might not have known about these albums and the awards that they won. Now, the end of the Disney Renaissance is interesting because we then enter another period of time where if you, again, watch these Disney movies, it's not like they're bad movies. These are still great films, but they didn't live up to the Disney Renaissance. And it's because of a shift in strategy. And the at the time, the dominant player 
emerging was Pixar. And Pixar did not, you know, they, they had a relationship with Disney, but Disney did not own Pixar the way that Disney owns Pixar today. So it, you know, they collaborate on a lot of projects, but Pixar could go ahead and make a movie without tying it to Disney if they really wanted to. Um, and Disney tried to see if they could emulate Pixar's success. Usually, if you try to replicate a dominant player who has a basically like a secret formula to doing something extremely well, usually doesn't play out the same way. Um, so Disney, there's an exception here. Fantasia 2000 was not really following that strategy. That was the next movie after Tarzan, but this was Roy Disney coming into the picture and wanting to um, continue his uncle's um, you know, legacy with Fantasia by delivering a 2000 version of uh, Fantasia called Fantasia 2000. But we're going to kind of skip over that one because it is unique. But if you look at the next 10 or so Disney movies, they are Dinosaur, which I think everybody forgets, The Emperor's New Groove, Atlantis, The Lost Empire, Lilo and Stitch, Treasure Planet, Brother Bear, Home on the Range, Chicken Little, Meet the Robinsons, Bolts, those and that 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 sort of ends that period um where disney kind of was trying to figure itself out again um but shifted away from that formula that they found in the disney renaissance tried to do a little more computer animation although not everything here is computer animated some good hits in here like lilo and stitch is a, a very popular movie among disney fans emperor's new groove i love meet the robinsons um i think it's a great movie Brother Bear is another one that a lot of Disney fans really love, but we kind of enter this this um, interesting period until we get back to what Disney found success with in the Disney Renaissance, which was a lot of musical films, um, a lot of the same themes, and that was The Princess and the Frog kind of brought us back to the era that we are still in today. Um, maybe not every Disney movie today hits like a disney renaissance film but neither did the disney renaissance films um so yep. it's it's very similar but i mean like even up until Encanto, we still have these iconic giant disney movies with amazing songs that break records and win awards so it's an interesting legacy that continues today except for that uh, little post disney renaissance period it goes so, through ebbs and flows, right? And it's, it's so yeah. hard to keep. It, it's so hard to keep that bar of creativity. And sometimes, it's important to to take a step back and to try something new. Because that's the other thing too is that you don't want what you're doing to end up getting stale. And if you're doing the same thing over and over again, it's very easy to feel stagnant. And it, even if it felt like a misstep, sometimes it's a it's a necessary point of growth. You know, during that time period, if they didn't do that, would they ever get to the point of then the current era of films before that reason? Probably Even though not. it was essentially return to form, they had to stray to try new things, to try you know, to see what can be done uh, with computer animation, um, which at the time, you know, in Disney wasn't really like Pixar was like they decided Pixar is the one doing the computer animation. We're still doing 2D. So it was a oh, time of of you know this awkwardness of a new family member essentially at being you know included and seeing what 
where their place is in comparison to Disney Animation. And it, it was just very, you know, it was a very challenging time for Disney to overcome that. And, but, you know, looks what happens that they were able to essentially merge and to create all these now amazing new films that are, are coming out. So I think it's always necessary. Growth and change always comes from, you know, comes from awkward periods of time and in, in trying to figure things out. Yeah, I, I try to re remind people of that always, that you cannot have consistent home runs without trying new things. You need to go through those, to your point, Mike, those periods of growth and learning. It applies to a person, too. If you are trying to yeah. get to the next level in anything, it requires learning a new skill. And you might bring on a great trainer or mentor or someone to help guide you to help that process go faster, but you're not going to get it right in the beginning by any means. And it's usually odd if you do, um, if you're all, an all-star from the get-go, uh, it's not common to get that. And that is the same thing with companies and studios. And um, yeah, it is It is what I think got Disney to realize, especially once Bob Iger got in the picture that, you know, we need to bring Pixar into the family. Like we're not going to duplicate and exceed what they're doing they're the dominant player in computer animation and even in at that time storytelling they were the dominant player in storytelling so let's bring them into the in-house um form a great relationship with them and let them kind of lead us on on how to deliver great content going forward so they needed that period of uncertainty in order to get there to your point mike um, and then the other thing too was taking yeah. that and coming across to to Disney Animation because Disney Animation also felt slighted at the time that they were taking over their territory. So making sure that you know that was also respected, and you know they they were able to get the two to to essentially work together and and help lift both of each other up. And it and it, that takes a long time because these are you know very very large families. So it takes time to to build that that relationship and that trust and to help lift both of them up which it, that's exactly what happened and you know just like anything else you mentioned before and i think it was so important to to talk about is that you usually you're not going to get it right off the bat and even like even the sense of disney right snow white got it right <laughs> walt disney got off not right but if you look at but to keep that quality is so difficult to do and again it won't always be the same. Can you imagine if they were trying to make a film today that was literally like Cinderella? It wouldn't work with the modern audience anymore, right? It's a classic by any means, but it's you know it's you know story you know storytelling changes and it and evolves as our society grows, and it, that's also the same thing true with personal growth. Just because something is working for you now isn't necessarily going to work for you in the future. And that's why it's always important to to learn and to try things and to experiment and and to and to grow. Because if you stay the same, you know, everything else is going was right past you. So you really want to do these things. And even though it could be uncomfortable to do so, it is so important for your own self-worth and to adapt and to and to really explore what are the possibilities. I, I completely agree with all of that. It's so important. Let's uh, let's have some uh, a couple of wrap up thoughts here. We're we went through the Disney Renaissance. Reflecting back on our discussion, why do you feel that the Disney Renaissance is met with such reverence and devotion as it is, especially in the Disney community? I think for so many of us, especially for 
those who are our age, this is part it was a very prominent part of our childhood. Um, not just because of the films, but because I mean, it was literally. I mean, I remember it was everywhere. Like you said, it was it was McDonald's toys. It was the commercials. It was the video games. It was you know the television cartoon shows. You know because like there was like Timon and Pumbaa. There was the Aladdin animated you know a television show. So it was so ingrained into our childhood that I, we look back with this sense of you know nostalgia. I think is a big part of it, let alone the fact of how well done these films are. And I think, you know, to this day, they were just, they were, you know, so many of them were true masterpieces. So I think the whole end line of Renaissance is the cultural impact that these films have had during that 10 year time, time span. Cause it was at the time, like Disney was unstoppable, especially when it came to animation, like they were unstoppable. They were, they were the standard at that point in time for animation and like very few came even close to what they were doing and for that that particular 10 year time so i think for that reason and that sense of as you mentioned leading back to the renaissance is a really a whole burst of new creativity of what is possible with animation and animation film specifically and i feel like that's what we look back on and even to this day as you mentioned going back to true to form is still influencing animation and for that reason, I feel that's why it's revered so much by so many of us, um, not only for our own childhood, but even children growing up today. They're, you know, now as we're getting older and having our own children, showing them these films of what we grew up with and them appreciating and loving these films for what they are. I think that's what is going to make this time period of films timeless. Great way to close us out. Um I do think I'll just add the uh, to cap off our theme that the music is also what makes this so iconic of a period in Disney history is that the music became talk about what we talked about in the beginning became an integral part of the storytelling process um, and was done to your point with such quality and that met Broadway level quality that made half of these Broadway productions <laughs> or about half of these Broadway productions. Um, couple quick wrap-up thoughts, Mike, or quick questions for you. So we mentioned, or you mentioned your favorite um, movie from this time period is The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Do you have a favorite album or soundtrack? Is it still The Hunchback of Notre Dame, or if you just thought about the music, is it something else? It's The Lion King. The Lion King, that makes sense. And do you have a favorite song from this Disney Renaissance time period? That's a really tough it's one. A hard, it there's a lot of them. There's, there's so many. It really comes down to mood. It really... I, I, I don't want to feel like a cop-out here, but it really does come down to mood. I will tell you, I can tell you probably my top five if I really thought about it. All right. Well, we'll yeah. we'll save that for uh, another time, but I, I, I'll okay. let you cop out there. I... I, I I, okay, if I if 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 it was push comes to shove and I had to really answer it, I think Circle of Life would probably be my favorite. If I if I really had to choose one, yeah, I I'll actually agree with you. I think it's Circle of Life as my favorite song. My favorite album, you know, Lion King is is probably not on my favorite movie, but my favorite album. But if I if I if I really am trying to be a little different here and not just say the Lion King is all I feel is amazing, because um, it's not. Uh, Beauty and the Beast is a very close, at least a runner up for me. Um, I love that soundtrack. Mm. Every part of it, the score, all of the songs, everything about that whole album, I think is better than the Lion King. I just have a personal affinity for the Lion King. So I'm sure your sister would appreciate that. 
<laughs> she would. Um, Mike, thanks for chatting with me about this super monumental period in Disney history and bringing all of this research and such great opinions and thoughts to our conversation today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I always enjoyed being on the show. So thank you so much. And with that, we close out episode 155 and our two-part lengthy discussion about the music of the Disney Renaissance. I say lengthy, but I still feel like in some cases we had to rush through because we're talking about an iconic period of history that is one that so many Disney fans love, Mike and myself included. And I really hope you enjoyed listening a little bit about the music of the Disney Renaissance, because I really do believe it's the music of the Disney Renaissance films that make these movies so memorable. Yes, the stories are wonderful. The characters, we just love those characters. But there was something about the music that makes these films so much better. Of course, I want to turn this conversation over to you and hear what your favorite songs are from the films we discussed today, which include, just to go back, The Lion King, Pocahontas, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hercules, Mulan, and Tarzan. And if you'd be so bold as to pick a single favorite from those films or even from the entire Disney Renaissance, I'd love to get your answers to that question as well because it is one that Mike and I struggled with too. You can send me your answers and feedback in many different ways and the easiest is just to reach out to us on social media. I generally post about our podcast episodes. You can always go back. If you haven't been, uh, if you're listening to the show in the future, like months or years after this podcast episode debuts, you can always bring it back up to the surface by joining our Facebook group, The Imagination, also called The Imagineer Podcast, Disney fan community. A lot of people do this. In fact, if they're going back and listening to older episodes, they'll go ahead and post about it as a new post in our Facebook group. And it's just a great way to sort of relive the memories of our previous podcast episodes. But you can find us on any social media app as well. You can find us especially on Instagram, I'd say is the place I would encourage you to join us. Uh, but again, our Facebook group is wonderful as well. And you can see all those links over at imagineerpodcast.com. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the show, maybe this is your first episode or second episode of Imagineer Podcast, you're still kind of feeling us out. I would encourage you to hit that subscribe or follow button so that you are aware of new podcast episodes that become available whenever they do. And it does help this community as well. Um, it increases our relevance in these podcasts cast apps no matter which podcast app you're listening to and it definitely goes a long way to help the show and another thing you could do to help us out is to leave us a rating and a review in any podcast app whichever one you're listening to but in particular if you're listening on apple podcasts or on spotify or if you have the ability to go and rate us and review us in either one of those apps that definitely goes a long way to help this show out and i am so thankful to those of you who have rated and reviewed the show already and if you would like to take your love of imagineer podcast to the next level definitely look into our patreon group over at patreon.com slash imagineer podcast i say this time and again and i truly mean it this community this podcast would not exist without our patreon members so i'm so grateful to the 100 plus of you who are a part of our Patreon group, but I encourage you, if you're not already a part of this group, it's a great way to support the show, whether you join us for a month or two months or longer than that. You can join and cancel at any time. It helps keep the lights on for Imagineer 
podcast and you get extra bonus content in return, which is one of the great things about joining us. You get bonus podcast episodes. You get a daily or, or different types of posts that come up, maybe not every day, but you get different posts that come up in our Patreon community, access to a private Facebook group just for members, weekly Disney Plus watch parties, and so much more. These terms and conditions are subject to change depending on when you're listening to the show. Benefits might change over time, so the best way to learn what's currently available is by heading to patreon.com slash imagineerpodcast, and I've got links for you in the description of this episode and at imagineerpodcast.com. And when you're ready to book a trip to any Disney destination, definitely look into our travel partner, Magical Park Vacations. They are who I personally use. I've got Kim on speed dial. That's not a thing. I've got her on my contacts list. Um, I send her a text whenever a new discount becomes available or whenever I know I want to book a trip, there's an event. And uh, she and her entire team do an incredible job of just helping to do that for us, right? Making, taking the time to book our vacations for us. Like any travel agency, this is a complimentary service. So it's nothing extra for you. It just helps to save you time. And if you haven't been to Disney in a while, or if you are trying to find a way to make your Disney vacations even better, they can really help you out. So again, reach out to them at magicalparkvacations.com or find them on social media. And consider working with their sister company, WDW Park Planners, which you can learn more about at wdwparkplanners.com. This is a premium concierge planning service, so they not only help to book and plan your vacation, but plan a day-by-day, in many cases hour-by-hour itinerary to help you to best navigate your Disney vacation in a personalized way. So they literally sit down with your family, figure out what your your like must-dos are, what your preferences are, and they come up with this incredible plan um, so that you don't have to sit down and plan out the days you're going to be visiting which parks or where to start at each of the parks or what time or where to eat or how to best fit everything into your schedule. They work all that magic for you. And in many cases, I mean, they have created a better plan for my family than I have before. So it makes it a really wonderful team to work with. You can learn more again about uh, WDW Park Planners at wdwparkplanners.com. Last but not least, I want to encourage you, as I always do, to go after your hopes, dreams, goals, aspirations, whatever they might be. Take those steps to make them a reality today. And remember, as always, that inspiring quote from Horizons. If you can dream it, you can do it. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you again in a future episode of the Imagineer Podcast.
resort for the world's most magical celebration every moment is amazing the joy is never-ending and the memories last a lifetime because when you celebrate with us nothing could be more magical contact magical park vacations to book your walt disney world resort vacation today call 585-662-3686 or visit magicalparkvacations.com 